Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. He's a former Hoosier, former NBA player, former Big Ten Player of the Year, very outspoken a couple of weeks ago. And we all kind of wondered where that thing was going. And as it turned out, our next guest, Brian Evans, incredibly accurate with his IU basketball program and what he was talking about then to where it is right now. And uh, Brian joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Good afternoon, Brian. How are you? Hi, John. I'm good. How are you today? I know this is not making you feel good at all. It's not like you're doing a victory lap of any kind, but what, two weeks later? absolutely accurate about the state of this program right now well yeah that's a good place to start um no there's nothing you know there's nothing fun about this and you know my i wouldn't i don't even call it a prediction I, it was a fear you know i just had this fear that things were going to get a little bit worse um and not necessarily better and yeah that's how it played out i don't want to no more predictions i don't want you to don't don't make that one of your questions what i think's next i don't want to go there (laughs) well listen i i know as um as a former player this is tough but what you said two weeks ago you said it looks like this is probably going to happen again because this is just uh where this group is and evidently it's how it's being led and there you are and a couple of weeks later here we are yeah. Um, well, I talked about Xavier. Uh, I, I know I went on a while about it, and I, you know, <laughs> we've done a lot of interviews together. We, we, we've I've joined the show a lot of times. I've I've never got as much follow up as I did this last time. I, you know, I heard about it from a lot of different angles. Did you hear uh, about it from Bloomington? A little bit. Yeah. Now what? Now I'm curious. You don't have to go full into what and who you heard about it from here but i'm just curious on the surface you know kind of the fringe stuff were they mad that a a former player was as outspoken against the program and the head coach as you were yeah i'm really um shouldn't you know i shouldn't uh i'm gonna i gotta leave it alone but yeah i I heard a little something um and i get it and i and i i knew i knew that i would hear um i'd hear something I, i realized that that's not what that's not what they want to hear and um and i'm you know i gotta stick to the fact that i'm I'm a huge supporter of the program i'm not trying to hurt the program i care about the program and this this sucks right it just nobody wants them in this position they're working like hell to to you know climb out of this situation um you know i I come on your show and, and i answer your questions and i'm and i'm not trying to do any more than that i'm just coming on talking to you um and it's just right now we're in a really bad spot, and there's there's that's just that's the reality. So Brian Evans, the former Hoosier, uh, with us. You, you also you called that that was going to happen again. Like I, you as a former player can probably understand this, and I, I kind of described you know CJ gone last week as follows. 
um, whomever the dude was that you know was putting his scalp into his face and all that was having a good game. Um, Wisconsin was feeling good. Uh, clearly, CJ Gunn and IU they're having a bad performance, so they felt bad. But these are the situations. I mean, even though like in normal times. I don't think you're ever going to understand an elbow to the face, but I think you would understand an IU player taking exception to that. But these times are different right now. This group, this coaching staff, they're under a magnifying glass, and you just can't let that silliness take shape and happen in the fashion in which it did. I mean, really, even if you're trying to defend him for just reacting to a guy that clearly was trying to get under his skin, you cannot take that bait. Right. No, that's that's simply put. And you know, that was my fear um, with with Xavier was that if nothing was done, you know, and there was no suspension or a perceived slap on the wrist or something, my fear was that somebody else would do the same thing. It's like <laughs> makes me think of parenting. If you let your oldest kid jump up and down on the couch, well, the rest of them are going to do the same thing, you know, and. and that is kind of what just took place. You know, you saw another outburst. You saw another really bad decision on the court during a game, and and I I, I just hate that for our fan base, and and, I, and I'm I'm part of that. I have been for 40 years, and I just, and I hate it. And then I'm sure you're going to go there next with um, Don Fisher. Yeah. And, well, and, and I, I tell you what, I tell you what, B. Hold on one second. I'll let you finish. But yeah. for those that maybe lives under a rock, didn't hear this on Friday night at Wisconsin. This is what Brian Evans is alluding to, the voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher, with this. And I have never said this before in my 51 years behind the microphone at Indiana University, but I am embarrassed for this ball club. Uh, right and now. Not, be, not because of the score. And that was kind of what you were talking about a couple of weeks prior that clearly Don had seen and, and had enough of on Friday night. Yeah, that is deflating to me. I, I mean, uh, I am, um, he's right. Number one, but I, I hope the listeners, I hope people understand, you know, the gravity of that statement and who that guy is. <laughs> I've known him for, I probably know him for 30 years. Uh, that, that took a lot for him to say that. I mean, he does not want to feel that way. And and I'm sure he he crafted and scripted that to say it exactly the way he wanted to because this is a bad situation and he he wouldn't have said that unless it was and and, and this is a guy that's um, you know I always I always try to say this I know I can be opinionated at times and I try to uh, temper those and I, I usually say hey I'm not around when I get asked certain questions by you I said well I'm not around the program I don't know I'm not at practice I don't know what they work on you know. I say that a lot because I think that's important for your listeners to know that. I, you know, look, I'm not trying to pretend I run a program and I've been in the, you know, I've done it before. I'm a, I'm just a fan, you know, and I had a five-year window that I got to, I was lucky to be there and, and get to play there uh, for our fan base. But Don Fisher saying that 51 years, that's a, that's a big deal. And it, and it stinks, man. Yeah, He's not wrong, but it, it really stinks that that's how he's feeling right now. And I'll even say, you know, Robbie Hummel, who I think is an up-and-comer, I, I think he's the next Jim Nance, to be honest with you. I think he's fantastic. I think he's, you know, the, the guy is a talented dude, and he's going to have a long career. He's from the state of Indiana. He's not taking a cheap shot at Indiana basketball. He actually really appreciates it and was a part of that rivalry when it was still really good. 
Um, his 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 comment killed me too. Um, shortly after CJ Gunn's play, he said, "This is not Indiana basketball," and that hit that hit hard. I mean, I'm just bummed out, you know, to have to hear that. And you know, Jordan Cornette during the Purdue game, you heard that he said, you know, he said they should be ashamed of the effort and performance in the first half. I mean, the, that's that's three different people that are don't, that don't have a history of taking shots at IU basketball that have said those things since you and I uh, were on the phone last. It's uh, the Don Fisher sound, by the way, courtesy of of Learfield, right there. As you're right, as as a former player, and you said this two weeks ago, I. I, I kind of just sat back and I wanted you to say what, what you had to say because you've lived it, you've been it, and it's within your fabric. And then when when Don doubled down on Friday night in that fashion, it just kind of hit home with you know such a magnitude. What, what needs to start right here? Is it lack of leadership? Is it players? What do, what do we need to begin to try to get this thing cleaned up? Even before you start winning games and feeling good, it just kind of seems like there needs to be some sort of attitude adjustment with this group, with this team, with this coaching staff right now. Where would you start? What advice would you give as a former player? Oh man, I, I I don't think for one second that I've got the answers to that question. That's a tough one. It, it took you a while to spit it to spit that thing out. You did, yeah. Because I, I mean, seriously, I I will say this: I could have made it easier by saying I think all of the above. Seriously, I think everybody is on the hook in that program for what we have have seen here recently. I mean, I, 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 there's a couple things that stick out to me, and and I, and and it's not any kind of. I, I'm not trying to make an attack. I just. I just think after the mistake by C.J. Gunn or what he did in the game, you know, Coach Woodson really exonerated him a little bit and just said, hey, it was a semi-elbow, and, you know, I didn't think it deserved to get kicked. I mean, that's that's not right. You know, the, the rules are the rules, and it was really obvious in, in real time that he was gone from the game. I mean, it was a swing of the elbow above the neck. That's all it takes to get ejected. That, we, we know the rules, and we've been watching enough. I was surprised that at his response at the press conference. Um, and then, you know, he made another comment that uh, just stuck with me about, you know, we're still getting to know each other. We're a new team. Oh, man, that one really bothers me for a couple reasons. The first reason is, you know, that's the way we're constructing the team now, right, is to try to get five-star high school guys and try to find people out of the portal. You know, if, if that's the strategy, right, then you're going to, you're going to have a lot of new faces every summer, right? And, and these guys have been together. I hate, I hate reading that we're still getting to know each other in late January. And you know, I, I don't know that we even have a. And he made a comment about staying in the hunt. We got to find a way to get stay in the hunt. I, I hunt for what the, the tournament? I, I don't, I don't, I really don't see a path to the tournament this year. At least right now, I, I don't see one. I, and I, believe me, I'm no expert. I'm not Joe Lenardi, but I don't, you know, I don't see us. I see us with a, a index of like the hundredth best team in the country, no quad one wins, um, not playing very good basketball. I just don't know that we're in the hunt or, or if we are, I don't know what hunt we're in. So Brian Evans, the former Hoosier on the Andy Moore automotive group hotline, a little bit more off of the getting to know one another comment that you just made from Mike Woodson after the game the other night is that this is the college basketball era that you're in right now. 
because your roster turnover is going to be more robust than it ever has been year after year. And that's a situation with basically all of college basketball right now. So if you're not up to it this year, and that's going to be a struggle, basically every year here on out is going to be a similar struggle because you get roster every level, mid-major on up. Every roster is going to be drastically different, I think, year after year until there is some sort of an adjustment made in what is done, whether it's you know transfer portal stuff or, or how this is going to be dealt with. This is just college basketball in a nutshell right now, college football in a nutshell right now. Well, yeah, I, I, for sure there's more player movement than ever before, right? Uh, there, there just is. With, with NIL dollars out there and <clears> – <throat> You know, you could be a, you know, have a solid season and another team really needs you, right? And comes at you with an offer and a bag of money, guys are going to move, even if, even if the, you know, the school that had them wanted to keep them. And there's, you know, so there's going to be just more player movement than ever before. We know that. Uh, so I think it's, it's about the staff saying, okay, we're going to take a fifth year senior or fourth year senior, somebody out of the transfer portal that was a solid player, somebody else. So we're going to have a new face, right? Well, if you're going to do that, then you got to have some familiar faces. You know, I, I, we don't have to look very far up uh, 65 to see it being done uh, pretty well. Um, j- just a, a roster of still juniors and seniors and familiar faces, of, you know, a, a group of guys that have played together for a few years. And then you bring a – you could bring in a couple new faces. You're going to have freshmen. You're going to have maybe a transfer or two and – you know, how do you execute? How do you get them to, you know, uh, familiarize with one another? You can't year after year change the, the core of the team, right, and turn over the roster, and then in January talk about that we're still getting to know each other. You, you know I mean? You, there's There's got to be more stability than that. So, Brian Evans with us. What do you see talent-wise from a basketball standpoint on this team? You know, I I think we we've, we've got talented guys. I mean, I see talent. You know, we've got we've got some really good length. That you know, there's a lot of years that, that you don't have that kind of length. You know, where's long arm guy, seven footer? We've never really had a, a a player like him as long as I've been watching. I don't remember having a guy like him at all. George Leach is probably the closest thing, right? Six ten, eleven, seven foot with long arms and a, and a wingspan and athleticism. Um, Mbako is, you know, he's probably six eight, about my height. You know, it looks like he's got a seven two wingspan, right? There, there's there's good length and talent on the roster. I I don't see a really, I don't see a deep team necessarily, but I don't see a, a, a huge shortage of talent by any means. Yeah, my my uh my thing with the roster changeover, it's just and and you will have teams like Purdue and and what Matt Painter has going right now that's going to be able to to sustain and maybe sidestep that. But I just think ultimately it's going to end up hitting everybody because it's just too damn easy. And you know this is this is just normalcy. And I, I think the the oddity for a lot of us um, older generational folks basketball fans in college this is going to be even more normalcy as we move forward right here so you're just going to have to be able you're going to have to be able to quickly 
turn things around, get everybody acclimated on the right page, or you know, you're going to suffer the consequences. And it just it just looks like that everything with this team, Ryan, this season to me has unraveled. Whether you're talking about you know the players, um, you know, the coaching, the leadership, uh, it has all been kind of highlighted to the negative. And you know, again, this is why we're having this conversation. I think two out of the last three weeks of this season, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, that'd be great to um, it'd, it'd be great to try to get Don to talk a little bit more. Uh, he's around him so much, you know, and he yeah. watches him practice so much. And that, that was another reason that that continent statement from him hit so hard because he he's around the team. You know, it's easy for to criticize me. What do I know? I'm not, I, and I don't go to practice. I'm not around the ball club, and so I'm not seeing. I'm just watching from you know, I'm watching religiously from from home, but I'm not at games, and I'm definitely not at practices. I I know that. I, I really wanted to see something happen with Xavier. You know, it's just that you're not taught. You got to make, I, I felt like there was an opportunity to make an example, you know, with a guy that's been around, you know, it's a 60 year guy, a 24 year old guy that that should know better than to do what he did and, and kind of the smirk and, and, and how he did it. I thought it's kind of stunk. Um, and he's the captain of our team, you know, and, and, and that bothers me that he's, you know, the captain of our team. I, I feel like, I feel like that could have, would have, should have been taken away from him, if nothing else, to to, to let everybody watch and know that that's not okay. We're, we're not okay with that behavior. You're wearing that jersey. You can't do that kind of stuff. Um, but that didn't happen, you know. And then and now you got an, a younger guy doing something similar. It's just a. It's, the optics right now are just bad for our program. They just it just doesn't look good. So Brian Evans, who is uh, with us, just one or two conversations or multiple after that last appearance with me here. You don't have to say who called or anything like that, but just kind of curious. No, no, it, it wasn't much. It, it wasn't much. It was um, it was a, a couple of texts and, and one phone call. No, nothing, nothing awful. Um, this is something I could share with you. I, I, I just, it's not <laughs> I, oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't want you to because I know you can't right there. I just, uh, I, I'm just for one. Obviously, as a former player and what you accomplished, you carry a a great deal of weight. But at the same time, as as you can gather, and then you know, playing off of what Don said on Friday. You know, a lot of people at the time had said, well, you know what, he's just, you know, just being outspoken for the sake of being outspoken. But, you know, Don kind of justified really, really everything because that's what you brought up. Um, that was the tack that you took on, you know, the leadership and dealing with things within your team and how that affects your play. And a couple of weeks later, after Don said it, here we are again. Yeah. Well, I went back and listened to our entire conversation. I felt like I needed to. Um, just just to make sure I knew because it's 18 minutes and and I was freestyling and I don't know what question you're going to ask me you know and I just answered your questions and I, I just think that the number one is it all comes from a place of me loving the program you know more than I love any of the individuals that are a part of it I just I love the program way more and so anything I'm saying is just because I how much I care about it. So Brian Evans, who is with us, still watching though, right? Watch uh, Wisconsin. No, I I'll, ne- I can't, I'll never stop watching. It's 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 part of my life. That was a tough watch on Friday, though, buddy. I'll tell you that. I was in Naples. I watched it from Naples, which was, it made it more watchable. <laughs> I was in a really good spot. My wife and I 
of just having some dinner and watching the game over a, a bottle of wine. So I watched I it from Bargersville, and that made it that much worse. Yes, yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Here's here's where I am with this right now. And again, as a complete outsider, um, this this program and where it is and and losing. It, it feels like a level of normalcy is reached right now. And we, we talked about that with apathy with Archie Miller. And then in year number one, I think everybody kind of felt better about where, where Mike Woodson was taking and he's a former IU guy or, or whatever. But it kind of seems like a lot of what we're going through right now is the norm. And that's, that kind of what, that's what takes me, I think, more than anything else. Well, I, you know, I, I... Gotta be careful. I, there's so much. Um, there's a lot of ground to cover. I, I don't feel like we're in position, right? You know, we're not in position to, to turn a page and be really, really good tomorrow. I, I don't. I feel like we got some issues. I don't know what they are. I'm not there. Like I said, I'm not there. I'm not there on a day-to-day basis. But I don't feel like we're getting ready to catch a hot streak, unfortunately. And that's, you know, that's kind of what I was alluding to last time we talked. Is like I, I just. You know, I don't see it getting better. I'm afraid I'm I'm seeing it go the other way, and I, that's not how I want to feel. It is not how Don Fisher wants to feel. I promise you that. It is not the way he wants to feel. Do you think um, when we reflect on when you played and you know the so-called good old days, do you think that there's there's a way in the the future foreseeable future you th- see there's a way to recapture it, or is this kind of what it is moving forward? You ever think about that in terms of maybe never getting back with this program consistently? What made, you know, this program great people like you, players like you? You ever you th- ever think maybe this this is kind of what it is moving forward for the longer term even? No, I don't know. I, I think it's hard. I, I mean, I, I don't – I think it's really tough to build a great program. I mean, you're watching guys get it done in, in – short periods of time you know you you see the guy at uh, Oklahoma you know who came from a mid-major and Oklahoma had kind of fallen off the map and Porter Moser has them in the top 10 or you know they've been in the top 10 I don't know what they are today but you know there's programs that uh, Marquette you know that's another one that was just really not on the scene and you mentioned Shaka Smart I mean he, they got into the top five they're kind of hovering around top 15 or so so you know you're seeing it happen out there I, I think it's really tough and I, I think part of certainly the NIL and the and the transfer portal complicate things. I, I mean, I think they can help. They can make you can build a winner faster because you have that opportunity to to do it the right way. I I don't think it's easy at all. So I mean, I'm not attacking the, the coach or the coaching staff because I, I don't think it's easy in this climate. But yes, I'm not going to lose hope. I, I do think it can be done. Um, you've got to find a way. And Matt Painter has done a great job of this: is to to dabble in the in the transfer portal, but getting guys to play together for the name on the front of the jersey, not worrying about draft status and playing for a name that, by the way, is not on the back and should never be. Um, that, that's that's the trick. Can you get guys to play to play for each other, and and for the program to win, just to win, not not so you can get drafted higher, not so you can only stay for a year. I mean, I, I still can't believe – I just believe kids nowadays are trying to play as few years as college basketball and, and, and you know, trampoline into the NBA. Like, we, that, that wasn't a possibility for somebody like me. I wasn't talented enough to be a guy like that. But 
you know, Calvert was. I played with Calvert. You know, Allen probably was. We had some really good players. And being good in Bloomington was the greatest thing in the world. I mean, why would you, why would you want to leave? I mean, we, we had guys that were good enough to leave. Nobody left because we were having a blast. And we, were, we had a blast because we were winning. We weren't, we weren't playing to, to catapult into the NBA. It was, we, we were on a great team, but you played for each other. You didn't play for yourself. Hey, Brian, in closing here, how high does player accountability rank in terms of a, a winning program, a, a consistently winning program? Where does accountability rank? Well, I don't, I don't, it depends on what other ingredients you're considering. I, I think it's, um, you know, uh, at the top, <laughs> at the very top. Um, tell me what the other main ingredients are, and I could tell you where it ranks, but I – accountability is, is way up there, but there has to be a standard set, right? So there has to be a bar set of what are the expectations that you have to be accountable to. And I, I, I don't know what those are. I, I know what they were when I was playing. I mean, it was very, very clear what was expected of an Indiana basketball player. I, I mean, we all knew uh, there was a, a poster on the wall. In fact, a framed poster that said what, is, what it means to be a basketball player at Indiana University. I mean, that, that existed. And I wish I, I, I wish I could see that thing because it was fantastic, and it was it was a Coach Knight piece that he had built. Um, and I can't. I, I, I even searched for it. I started maybe maybe somebody took a picture of it. I could Google this, and I would kill to see to read this right now because it was it was fantastic. I don't know what the um, I don't know what they are now. I'm not close enough to the program to know what the expectations are of of, of accountability. I just don't know. It's uh, Brian Evans right there. Are you still in Naples? No, no. I'm in Carmel. Yeah. It's a uh, stark contrast, right, to Naples, to Carmel, right now. They're, they're nothing. They have no nothing in common. Nothing in common. <laughs> well, I, I thought about you when I was listening to Don. I'm a big-time, as you know, radio listener. When I was listening to Don and I heard that, I thought, man. Um, that, uh, <laughs> that gives, that gives a lot of spirit to what you had to say, uh, a couple of weeks prior. And again, I want to remind everybody how much you do, you've said it a number of times, but how much you do care about this. This is not just somebody coming on here and, you know, taking pot shots at, you know, a head coach or you know, a coaching staff or a team or, you know, the athletic director or whatever. I mean, you do truly care about this and it probably does as a former player if you played somewhere and you know the team right now is not getting it done and doing some things certainly in the wrong way this can and will have a profound effect on you and that's where you're coming from is what i gather right now so no it's it's no fun i mean i, I want hey i want them to be good i want them to turn it around you know on on friday or saturday when they play i'm i'm hoping that there's a way they can do that it's not you know no one's getting any enjoyment out of what's going on right now. No, there's not a fan out there that feels that way. And, you know, Don saying what he said, I'm, I think he said it the right way at the right time, um, but it stinks, and, and he's getting zero pleasure out of it, I promise. It's uh, Brian Evans, the former Hoosier, the former Big Ten Player of the Year, NBAer, and uh, he's up in Carmel right now hanging out. His thoughts on present-day IU and more on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pileline. Always a pleasure, man. You better stay in touch. You will, right? Thanks Thanks, thanks yeah. for helping me get that night's sleep. 
when the roar yeah, at two. About that. Talk about that's that's more fun. You you had a great experience. Talk about that, and and we'll catch up next time. Just holler. I need it. I'm going to have to get a diaper on. I sleep so soundly now. I think I have to go to the bathroom so many times. I may have to start wearing a man diaper or something at night. We're getting up there in age, man. It's not too far away. <laughs> I'll, I'll have one on too. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you. All right, pal. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Ryan Evans on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Joining us now via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Of course, a lot going on this weekend regarding the divisional round of the postseason and the NFL and uh, more uh, serious matters in which we'll get into with ESPN, ESPN.com Colts reporter Stephen Holder joins us. Thanks for the time, Stephen. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Um, Try to stay warm and off the ice. Oh, yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard it's going to warm up a little bit later on this week, I guess. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I I mean, I'll take the rain if it's coming, but, you know, just get get me above freezing. Man, damn. Yeah. You know, the weather... And then the fact that you watch, for example, and we kind of felt that Houston ultimately would go out this way, and certainly in Baltimore they did, but it is still majorly depressing to me that the Colts didn't make more out of that. And you watch Houston roll through there and get some momentum for the future. Got to be fun down there, but it's still major depressing to me here. Yeah, you're always thinking about what could have been, and you know, and I also had this story I published today on Anthony Richardson, more what could have been, right? Um, and one of the things that, that Michael – this is not exactly what your question is, but it's related. One of the things that Michael Pittman Jr. said in the story I thought was perfect. He said, you know, Anthony had a tough season just kind of having to endure going through the injury and the disappointment associated with that. But what Pittman said that's so true, he said, you know, and it's compounded – by the fact that here's C.J. Stroud just absolutely tearing it up <laughs> and becoming basically a historic rookie, and here's Anthony Richardson sitting back saying, damn, wish that was me, you know? Yeah. And that's, that has to be hard. And so it's certainly also hard for the fans, as you mentioned, and particularly because you saw Houston go win a playoff game, you know, Cleveland just kind of running out of gas. And, you know, the Colts were hot enough that, you know, you never know. I, I would have given them – certainly at least a 50-50 shot at home uh, against a, a Cleveland team that they practically beat before. Went down to the wire, got a tough call, you know. So that was a pickup game in the first one. So absolutely, to your original point, the playoffs kind of, I think, demonstrate for us and it, it reminds us, like, when it's time to get there, if you got a shot, you got to get there because you never know. So Stephen Holder of ESPN, ESPN.com is with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I think I asked you this in some form last week, and that is what now through, what, seven seasons under the, the guidance of Chris Ballard. And, of course, we got the Combine coming up in February. Not too far after that, you're going to have free agency. But how do you believe Chris has changed his outlook? Because I don't think as far as how he believes you win in the NFL, it has changed that 
dramatically, yet you understand what he has, as you mentioned, in Anthony Richardson and what is necessary. Wouldn't it have to have a major shift than what he used to think in terms of putting together a team and getting that winning team in the NFL? Yeah, I, mean, the, I would say that the NFL, the interesting thing about it, the NFL, the evolutions come so quickly. So what I mean by that is if you look back, uh, say, uh, 2017, Chris Ballard was hired. Here, here's a great example of how quickly the NFL evolves, to your point, and, and why you have to keep evolving with it. 2017, when does Lamar Jackson get drafted? 2018, I believe, right? Yeah. And if you recall, the, the discourse around Lamar Jackson was, okay, great athlete. He can actually throw the ball pretty accurately and all that. But, like, that's not how we play in the NFL. That's not pro-style football. We can't do that here. <laughs> well, I got news for you, buddy. <laughs> Within three or four years, lots of teams were playing that way. And now here's Jalen Hurts and so forth and so on, right? You see how quickly that evolution went from, I don't know, that style might not be for us, to now it's like, oh, the quarterback's not a dual threat quarterback? Well, we don't want him. (laughs) I'm telling you, like, that's a great example. So I say all that to say you have to keep evolving as as an organization uh, in terms of how you evaluate players, in terms of how you – stack up against other teams you know you completely have to keep evolving so that's i guess the the challenge for chris ballard you know can he continue to do that i mean certainly drafting anthony richardson i guess is is a part of that evolution you know because first of all i mean he someone was asking me over the weekend or lots of people have asked me about jordan love and whether chris ballard ever really you know, would have taken, do, do I think he missed an opportunity or what was his evaluation of Jordan Love and so forth? And I, I would say that he was always, I'm going somewhere with this, so bear with me. I would say that he was always kind of lukewarm about him. And I get it that that was a long time ago and, and the guy sat and learned and he's a different player now than he was coming out of college. But, um, but it was interesting. And my takeaway from it was, you know, I thought that Chris had some trepidation when it came to pulling the trigger on the quarterback to, to some degree. And, and I can understand it too, right? Because if you get it wrong, you probably get fired. That's just how it works. But the alternative isn't, isn't any better, which is the alternative is living year to year and hoping you can find a solution. There weren't any great answers. Granted, I get it. But anyway, I, I'm just saying th- there are some – qualities about Chris Ballard that he's got to recognize and he's got to fix them. You know, like you got to take some chances sometimes. And so the Jordan Love thing is one opportunity perhaps where they could have traded up and, and taken taken a shot. Um, that's how I see this offseason. He's got some talent on this team. Yep. Granted, they're, they've got some holes. They certainly have holes. But you got a quarterback, at least you think you do. Don't screw this up. I mean, the windows don't stay open for very long. They just don't. Um, you've got to hit it when you've got an opportunity. And maybe they're, they're at the start of a, a, a window to do something here. I don't know what, but a window to do something. Don't mess around is what I'd say. He's Stephen Holder of ESPN and ESPN.com with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Do you remember how they felt? And obviously it, he wasn't going to make it 
to them. I just remember me with C.J. Stroud. I mean, I, I loved what he did in that semifinal against Georgia. And then I loved his comments at the Combine, ball placement specialist. And we knew that that was not going to happen. Ultimately, it was Anthony Richardson who Steichen fell in love with. And then, you know, Chris Ballard uh, went that direction with the pick as well. But do you remember how Ballard felt in terms of Stroud at all? I, I can't remember if he even dropped too many hints on how he felt because it was just the feeling was then it was so out of the realm of possibility why worry about it i think that's right they they didn't anticipate they would have to make that decision i mean the the question with with cj was is he going to be number one you know was he going to be the first overall pick i think so but but that being said you still have to do the work you still have to uh to evaluate you never know what can happen so i have no doubt that they they did extensive work on C.J. Stroud, as to how exactly they felt, I, I think it's harder to say. Now, here's something that's interesting. Chris Ballard, last week when he had his, or whenever it was, two weeks ago, when he had his end-of-the-year press conference, the one thing, I thought he dropped something that, that maybe some people missed, but he talked about Anthony Richardson and, and the impression he made on him as a rookie in terms of a thrower, in ter- just as him as a passer. And he admitted in there very briefly, and if you blink, you missed it, but he admitted, he said, you know, that's something I was worried about. Like they knew he was this dual threat athlete and he obviously has a huge strong arm. No one's ever doubted that. I think it was more about, could he be a, a pure pocket passer who played from the pocket and, and played conventionally, which you do have to do. You do no question about it. Well, I thought his, his, um, his reply he basically admitted he had doubts about that. And and so he was very relieved to see that Anthony is a legitimate pocket passer when he wants to or, or needs to be. So I, I guess what I'm saying is you certainly would not have had that doubt about C.J. Stroud. He was much more of a short thing. You do lose the dual threat elements with him, but I would say you can't doubt this. You can't say this about C.J. Stroud. He has done a good job maneuvering the pocket and sliding away from pressure, throwing on the run, things that I thought, you know, a lot of people had doubts about. I mean, he didn't get hit a lot at, at, at Ohio State, right? Uh, so he has put those doubts to rest. Now, again, your original question was where were the Colts and all this? I, I don't know. I, I just think – I think they saw C.J. Stroud like everybody did, which was, okay, his floor is very high. The question is, where's the ceiling? Um I do think that Shane Steichen was a big Anthony Richardson guy. That much is pretty clear. And I would say also that they were very heavily invested in Anthony very early in the process. You know, I was banging that drum from basically the combine on. And the reason for that is because I knew what I knew, which was that they were on him and they were not, they they were, they were not screwing around. They were, they were laser focused on him doesn't mean they wouldn't have picked someone else, but they were very, very focused on Anthony Richardson. So I I tend to think that the scouts and Shane Sykin mostly drove that pick. I really believe that. Um, If Chris Ballard were in charge and had the opportunity to draft C.J. Stroud, would it have been C.J. Stroud? Very possibly. So Stephen Holder, who joins us, it's interesting, too, you look at the four remaining teams. 
Uh, and, and one in San Francisco kind of works around at times the level of play of the quarterback, whereas you look at the others and they are geared certainly around the quarterback. And Lamar Jackson just now is at a different level, but we know Mahomes is right there as an elite level passer. Golf has been really good. Uh, what we have learned is the decision making has to be, and sometimes even when you make great decision making, it does not work out for you in this case, but I was always thoughtful about this. Dan Campbell, the head coach of the Lions and doing what they're doing right now. If you remember, this may have been two hiring cycles ago. There was some interest here in him. How far do you remember, do you recollect that did go? No. Okay. So if I recall correctly, he was part of the group that was hired after McDaniels. I'm, I'm sorry, interviewed. Yes. After McDaniels walked away, Josh McDaniels. So my recollection is it was Frank Reich, Leslie Frazier, I think, and Dan Campbell. So it, it was interesting, too, because I can't remember if Frank had – I don't think Frank had had an interview in the first round of interviews in that first group of candidates that they looked at. If I recall correctly – Frank was not among them. He was on the list, but they never actually took the step of interviewing him. I think Leslie Frazier was, uh, and I also don't think Dan Campbell was. But I would say this about Chris Ballard. He he actually has had pretty good instincts when it's come to interviewing coaches. If you look at who he has targeted in the past, they've all been guys, or a lot of them, I should say, not all, a lot of them have been guys who panned out very well. Um, you know, look, this is a terrible example, but I'm just giving you an example. Matt Rule, uh, if you recall, he interviewed Matt Rule. I think that was the year before Matt Rule got hired in Carolina. Now, that didn't work out. But my point to you is he, saw, he identified a really good up-and-coming college coach and said, you know what, let's talk to this guy. And, and I'm not saying it was a good hire in Carolina, but my point is he was actually ahead of the curve on Matt Rule for example. Uh, I would say also, I mean, Matt Vrabel, they were on Matt Vrabel. I think Vrabel's timeline got sped up uh, that cycle because Tennessee went ahead and pounced on him. Um, trying to remember, there's, there's a couple others I, I cannot remember right now, but I remember I remember their... Well, Matt, ne- Matt Nagy on. was one. Remember the Matt Nagy story Nagy was, was that uh, yeah. they visited him and then Brad Childress, uh, the former coach and longtime coordinator, told yeah, Nagy that the better gig was in Chicago. That's right. That's yeah. right. Brad Childress references like there you go. What? But there, there were a couple others, uh, both in that cycle and this cycle, where I was like, okay, he's on the right track. He's talking to the right guys, um, and and then he's also casting a wide net in both. But anyway, the Dan Campbell example I think is a good example of of how you always have a you have to have a pulse for who's out there and who the good coaches are, and. You know, I think that Dan Campbell, uh, as an interim years ago, wasn't it, I think, in Miami, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. um, actually had a nice ride that year. And, and I remembered that when the Colts identified him as a candidate, that was the first thing that came to mind. It was like, you know what? Uh, this guy, you know, people might think he's kind of a meathead and, you know, he looks like he spends a lot of time in the weight room. But, <laughs> I said, you know, that guy had a pretty good rundown in Miami, a team that hadn't done a damn thing in 20 years I mean, before this year. So, anyway, you gotta have a you got to have a good feel for that. And without that, you can't put together a comprehensive list 
uh, that gives you an opportunity you know, to get a good coach. You know, it's funny, too. I, I think that like Dan Campbell and Shane Steichen are, are comparable and not mm-hmm. how they, they handle business, but just how hardcore they go after it. They just go after it hardcore in yeah. different ways and means, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think there is something to that. Um, look, Shane Steichen is one of one, man, and, and maybe Dan Campbell's the close maybe is close to that. Um, I think – their personalities are different for sure, but like, it's all consuming for them. There's no doubt about that. Like <laughs> Shane Steichen, it's hilarious. I'm sure you've had this experience too. I have done, I have gone to great lengths to try to learn something about this guy. I mean, you know, if I'm going to cover the Colts, you should know a little bit about the head coach. <laughs> there ain't anything there, man. <laughs> There's nothing there. All people tell you is, oh, he's all ball. I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. He coaches football. I get it. But, you know, he just <laughs> – there's nothing there, man. He is he is completely consumed with it. And uh, and and I think the, the players, even though there, there's different styles, right? You know, Frank Reich could not have approached the job with Shane Steichen's approach because it would have been inauthentic. And vice versa, right? You know, Shane Steichen can't come in and, and start, you know, talking about, you know, belief and, and your family and, you know, your faith. And I'm like, nah, it ain't going to work, right? You're going to be inauthentic. But they both found their niche. And, and I think that's how coaches work. You know, you've got to just be who you are. And that's one thing you don't have to worry about with Shane Steichen. He's going to be who he is. And I think Dan Campbell can attest to that too. You know what? Like, you know, he got mocked when he had that opening press conference. I laughed too. Okay. I mean, you start talking about biting off kneecaps and we, we got to have a conversation. Okay. But um, he stayed true to them, true to himself. And it doesn't matter what outside, what the outsiders think. You just got to get those 53 guys to believe, man. And they believe uh, there's no doubt about it. They're, they reflect their coach and, and that's what good teams do. I, I don't know if this has happened yet. Brian Johnson took over for Shane Steichen, offensive coordinator in Philly. Yeah. I don't know if anything's made, made official, but there are questions whether or not certainly he is he is going to be back. So let's just say for sake of the uh, question right now, he's not going to be back. Does that open up a, a possibility, Jim Bob Cooter-wise, maybe some interest in that Philly end, you think, for his offensive that, services? That, that rumor is out there. Uh, it would be very interesting – uh, first of all, I mean, God bless Brian Johnson. Um, you know, he tried really hard, but yeah, you, you you would think they've got to make that move. Um, just because, look, we all love Nick Sirianni. Like, I get that he's an acquired taste, <laughs> but I like Nick personally. Nick's a good dude. But, um, yeah, this ain't the time for loyalty, man. Like, the walls are closing in. you you got to get that thing on track up there. So, I, if I'm him, I think you have to move heaven and earth to get on the right page and figure out what's what's next going forward. Now, as it relates to Jim Bob Cooter, I have no idea if, if that is a real possibility, but here's why it makes sense. They certainly lost something in Shane Steichen. There's no doubt about it. And they lost his, his acumen, his play calling um, ability, all of that his vision you don't get that necessarily with Jim Book Jim Bob Cooter but you do get the guy next to the guy who can come in and install not install because it's already there but come in and 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 take that scheme and and maybe take it to the next level 
progress it. And, and then we'd have to see from a play calling perspective, you know, how Jim Bob would perform. You know, he doesn't call the plays here in Indy. But, but just in terms of, of game planning and, and understanding how to attack defenses, Jim Bob's very good at that. He understands those things. He does a lot of that because Shane is the head coach and has other duties. So a lot of that does fall to, to Jim Bob. So I, I would totally understand it if Nick Sirianni went that direction. And it would probably uh, pay dividends for the Eagles to look at a guy like that just because there would be the continuity, uh, but yet – I think, you know, some more potentially more proven results just because we saw it here. Yeah, he is. Stephen Holder of ESPN covers the Colts, ESPN.com, and the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So we saw, when you start going back and, and stirring the echoes of the 80s and, you know, up front and getting sacks, getting after the quarterback, and certainly the era of Mathis and Freeney, you got something there. However, is there a little bit of fool's gold in terms of consistent pass rush at a high level? And the reason why I bring this up up front with the Colts defensively is should that not be as hard of a target in this draft or something they should try to track down, maybe even more so than anything else? Is there a little bit of fool's gold with setting records and doing things they hadn't done up front defensively this past year? A little bit of fool's gold in that in mind. Well, here's the thing. I think here's where you, where you have a point. They did it by committee. The pass rush effort. They, Seemed they, like the they, Eric they Walden like, season when he had like eleven sacks, yeah. and it was almost like a backhanded compliment to say anything about it. That, that is man, that is a blast from the past. Yeah. I remember that <laughs> when he got the double digits. Yes, it's like yeah, wow, this guy might be a player. No, he just had a really good year. <laughs> they just ran right to him. They scrambled right to him. It's like everybody really said did. that then, and that's kind of a little <laughs> bit of how this season collectively up front with this yeah. group reminds me of. And it it seems like you can't get these these pass rushing specialists anywhere in free agent. You got to get them no. in the draft. And I kind of wonder if that's at the top of the list. No, you're right about in, you know trying to to secure those guys. I mean. You know, vintage Von Miller, you know, 2015 Von Miller doesn't, you know, doesn't just fall out of the trees. I mean, you got to go, you got to find that guy in the draft. And so just to complete my thought, I think, you know, when you talk about doing it by committee, that is great. And I, I love that they did it and I, I cannot take anything away from them. So, so hear me out. All I'm saying is that is hard to do. Generally, the teams with the best pass rush, are teams that have a guy or two guys, you know, like Pittsburgh or teams like that. You know, you, you've got to have a, a guy who, you know, on third down, you know that team is going to slide the protection, that offense is going to slide the protection to Miles Garrett. And you know what's going to happen? He's still going to win like 25% of the time, which is a lot. <laughs> That's how you get 16, 17 sacks. You know, you have to win against very adverse situations. Uh, there's nobody on this team where I would say, besides DeForest Buckner, who's an interior guy, there's nobody who, you know, at night the, the offensive coordinator is, is sitting up, pulling his hair out, saying, I have no idea how we're going to block this guy. I, I, now, there are, there are guys who are difficult to block. And if you don't get your hands on them, they will make you pay. And Ebucom was a great example of that. 
you know, we Taekwon Lewis came on at the end of the year. Odenbo, like those are guys that like if you if they got a mismatch, they're going to kill you. And that's perfect. That's what they're supposed to do. That's the job. The job is get a good matchup, win the matchup. The the question is, can you can can you do do that against good offensive lines or can you win when you've got two guys coming at you, you get doubled or, you know, who gets that single block, who can win those consistently Uh, here. It was really a combination of good effort, really good effort, which matters. That definitely matters. I don't discount effort sacks because there's a reason not everybody gets them. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is some really timely maneuvers, uh, by Gus Bradley and the defensive coaches to kind of get some guys uh, in some good matchups. So I'll give them credit there, but I do, I do agree with you. I just think yeah. they got to address the back end, but I would be fine with them finding, you know, sort of a, a mid-level corner in the in free agency or something. Like, I think you can address that. I, I, don't, think they're, yeah. I don't think they're that far away. They don't have to go get Darrell Revis. They just need some competency, man. That, but that pass rusher, you ain't getting that in free agency. No doubt about that. Stephen Holden with us. Hey, final thing before I let you go, and let's uh, get on a serious note here regarding anything latest-wise, because I, I know the Colts are just standing by what they ha- have given out in press releases in the past. And you go back to Chris Ballard almost a couple of weeks ago, called Jim Irsay being in, in a stable condition what do we know right now and i i, I know this uh, there's a great deal of fear out there there's no question yeah I, I think a lot of that is brought about by the fact that there has not been news you know sometimes we say no news is good news sometimes in certain scenarios uh, I, i'm not saying in this instance it's bad news but it certainly is concerning you know because if there were progress I'd want to, I, I, I'd, I'd hope that they would want to share that. Um, we have not heard that. And so, so that's concerning. Um, I w- would add that the longer this prolongs, the, the longer it is prolonged, that certainly, you know, raises concerns. Right. So I, I just, I wish I had some optimism to, to offer. I, I just, I just don't know of any good news. I haven't heard any good news. I wish I could report some, but I haven't heard it. And that's the part that's, that's pretty jarring. I think in this whole thing with Jim Irsay, um, you know, and, and we know what happened in early December. Is there a relationship? You know, those are the things that we're trying to ascertain. Um, all we can say is, you know, keep me in your prayers and I uh, hope he pulls through whatever's going on there. But, but again, we're talking about, um, when did they release the, the initial report about uh, about him being uh, in dealing with this respiratory illness? I think that was uh, two weeks ago, if yeah. I recall. Maybe it's two weeks plus because then the TMZ yeah. report came and then they reiterated right. that press release. Yeah, and keep and keep in mind um, that was that that release did not come on the day of that of right. that first occurrence. I mean, he had been in that state, we know, at least for, for days, uh, if not more by then. So we're talking about combined several weeks, you know, since we, we know that he was in, in good shape. He is uh, Stephen Holder of ESPN, ESPN.com on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. If the uh, conditions worsen, be careful out and about, my friend, okay? 
Yeah, yeah, man. Everybody stay safe. It is always a pleasure to have you on, and we'll do it again next week. Thank you, Stephen. Okay, my friend.